What's up everybody, hello and welcome to episode number 175 of the VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell on another sunny Friday afternoon. Three of these in a row in fact. How are you going today Alex? Well, I don't know if it is going to be sunny down your way because I had two confirmed cases, two separate text messages from two different entities at different parts of the Gold Coast that had seen the same three Hercules military aircraft fly out of the Gold Coast which is what I sent you guys pictures of a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. that led to the storm. So Cloud seeding in there's progress. There's a rain bomb coming. Rain bomb being delivered as we speak. Um, yeah, stuck in spiritual. Yeah, we got, again, another big packed show today for you guys. We're going to be talking about uh, some interesting developments around electric cars. Uh, we are also going to be talking about uh, Australia's agreement with Moderna in regards to their uh, manufacturing facility we are currently building in Victoria. Um, we're also talking about what are we also what else are we talking about? There was something else on the list, Texas. wasn't it? What's that? Texas. Texas. Oh yes, sorry. <laughs> Having a bit of a mind blank. Uh, we are going to be talking about how the Texas Attorney General is currently suing Pfizer over misrepresenting their uh, products. So, Alex, where would you like to start? I'm going to start somewhere completely different, which is, I want to talk about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Now, the the reason for the catalyst is twofold. One is, it's having a bit of a run at the moment. Yep. Uh, It's currently, I think... 65,000 Australian at the moment. There you go. I just looked. Now, I went to the gym this morning... And a couple of the young guys have started their investing journey within the, within, uh, um, they're only like 21, 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And some of them have bought Bitcoin, right? And they were talking to one of the older clients and they were kind of showing off because they just sold and, and banked a considerable percentage portion, uh, of their original investment. Mm Mm-hmm. And this guy, who's a very smart guy, uh, lawyer, uh, older lawyer, um, basically told him Bitcoin's a scam. Mm-hmm. And I was on the other side of the gym, and I was just listening for a little bit, and I was like, okay, no, I, I need to go over, because he's starting to illustrate what, it, why it's a scam, and he's like, oh, you know, you give me $100,000, you give me $100,000, you give me $100,000, you give me $100,000, and then I'll give this guy $10,000 plus his $100,000 back, so he thinks he's up, and then I'll give... And it's just, it happens like uh, again and again and again. And that's why it's a Ponzi scheme. Okay. And I went, all right, what's a, how does the stock market work? Mm-hmm. So are you saying that people buy in, they put money in, and then when more buyers put more money in, that thing goes up. And when you sell it, you're selling it with the money from another person, right? Mm-hmm your profits on someone else that's paying more for the thing than you did. Yep. Well, that's kind of the same thing, right? You wouldn't call the stock market a Ponzi scheme. No. Right? And then I say, and he goes, at least the dollar is backed by the government. I said, okay, I that's valid. It is absolutely backed by the government. But they keep changing the rules on what you can do with your money. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, like what? I'm like, well, you know, if you wanted to buy a car from me that was over $10,000 and you wanted to pay me in cash, we'd have to sign a declaration saying that we're not terrorists and um, not money launderers. He goes, oh, yeah, that's a money laundering uh, like prevention system. 
And I said, well, it, they're, they're actually the same law, right? It's AML, AML CTF, anti-money laundering slash counter-terrorism financing. Mm-hmm. It's in the same heap. And, and I said, okay, um, what... So have banks never laundered money before? And he just kind of looked at me blankly. And I was like, and who are the biggest terrorists in the world? And who gave them all their money? (laughs) And he just gave me a blank look. Now, what I want to say is, I would love to debate anyone on this topic. Okay, Mm -hmm. I believe in Bitcoin, I am an expert. I, I would have done at least a thousand hours of research on it. I'm, I've bought, sold, transacted in, tried DeFi, uh, currently building a business that's going to purely accept Bitcoin, uh, researched the hell out of a, a bunch of other cryptos as well. And I think I'm an expert on the subject. But what I would prefer to see from people like that is to actually ask questions about it yeah. as opposed to just throwing out the taglines, which it, which is what you've been told to say because That's you right. don't understand it. Yep. Because, yeah, the dollar is backed by the government. The government also has a printer that can pull the back out of it. Yeah, that's right. I On that vein, I just caught a news story before, which I didn't think was going to be super relevant to bring up, but a um, overseas ratings agency has done an analysis on Australian government spending and has found that the government is currently spending in the vicinity of $50 billion a year more than what it was spending pre-pandemic, which is putting further pressure on inflation. So governments need to rein in their spending, otherwise they're inflating away the value of our dollar. Well, and and so... It's multifold in their favour. Yeah. So, yeah, it's backed by the government, but the government's trying to fuck you. Yeah, that's right. So why would you want it backed by someone who's trying to fuck you? Yeah. Why are you putting our trust and faith in a system that benefits them at the behest of us? Here's the thing that you, you kind of need to tell the young kids who are investing in Bitcoin. Um, the boomers had the housing boom. Like, that's what they use to basically um, punch their ticket into a comfortable middle-class lifestyle. They just Mm -hmm. bought a house when they were younger at whatever price that house was. And because our government's made all of these decisions to support the housing market for the last 40, 50 years, they've ridden that through and now they're quite wealthy at the end of their lives. Bitcoin is your current opportunity at a similar buy-in early and ride it throughout the rest of your life um, investment. It's a similar opportunity because at the end of the day, the one thing that I that we can count on is like even to think about the inflation talks that the government's doing at the moment and the RBA. What are they what are they saying? We need to bring inflation back down to a manageable two to three percent, which means that they're planning on deflating the value of your fiat currency by two to three percent per year if they actually achieve their goals. If they don't, it's going to be deflated by more than that. So if you're investing in something like Bitcoin, which has a finite resource, it's a a finite resource, 
it's not even like gold. Like everyone, like gold used to be the finite resource. Well, guess what? Miners can pull more out, more of it out of the ground. Eventually, there will be a point when the last Bitcoin miners have stopped mining the was it the twenty one millionth Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Like once you hit that point, there ain't no more. And you will see, if you buy it now and hold it for 30, 40, 50 years, you will see exponential growth in that investment, just like the boomers did with the housing market. But your opportunities if you buy it now. Now, where the common common argument against Bitcoin is the, there's no intrinsic value. And I want to address that here. I I want to talk about it here. So it's easy for them to say, there's no intrinsic value. And especially for us in the West, we have options to pay for things um, that a lot of other countries don't have. We have banks, we have hundreds of different payment providers that will give us an on-ramp and an off-ramp to, to move funds in and out. Yep. But even in the Western context, um, sorry, I'm gonna back up. If you think about it purely from the Western scope, we don't need it. Okay? Yep. We don't need Bitcoin. However, there's 50% of the world's population that needs something like Bitcoin, if not Bitcoin itself, because they are unbanked. Yeah. Most of the developing world (laughs) do not have access to banking, therefore they do not have access to payments. A lot of them have access to the internet. Mm-hmm. So there's no way for these people to exchange their value online to anyone. Now, like I said, we don't need it. But if we wanted to help, if we wanted to do anything for developing nations, we might start transacting with them. Yep. And what if there was a way that we could transact directly with them without intermediaries because you can't do that now because they don't have bank accounts Mm -hmm. but we can be in contact on the internet and we can transact and it could be something like you find an artist that you like that's going to do a logo for you yeah but that person happens to be in a poor nation in africa yep this is the only way you can transact with them yep could be a content creator yep but now like that is more like that is more beneficial to the people of that nation than world vision where does that money go yeah well into the well, we can't go to the their bank accounts can it it can't go to the bank accounts they don't right. have bank accounts yeah yeah so now so that's one thing right that's one thing that for the world is actually a really amazing thing but in the context of rich western societies we don't it's not in our purview we don't see it so we don't care that's right okay now let's talk about what bitcoin actually is it is the largest most secure decentralized computer network on planet earth mm-hmm. so what does that mean it means that there is more computer compute power connected to one network to run the bitcoin blockchain than all like than any other individual system yep now because it's written on a blockchain and because it's got so many nodes on this blockchain it's immutable it is unhackable you know, people say, oh, I've, I've heard heaps of stories about people getting getting hacked. Yeah, people can get hacked. Just like people don't rob banks, they rob people as they leave the banks. Yeah. Okay? So when, when you're in custody of it, sure, you can get robbed, 100%. But you can't hack the Bitcoin system because the blockchain is so sophisticated and so secure, 
that if you were to meddle with one block, the block either side of it would say, would invalidate it, say, no, something's wrong. Yeah, you would Don't literally have to hack the entire network, every node, all at the same time. Over 51%. You need 51% of the of right. the compute. Yep. So the bigger it gets, the more secure it gets. Yep. All right? Now, Hashtag to, go, to fail. To go, yeah, absolutely. So to, to address the guy, the old guy at the gym, right? I'm sure if he gave me the opportunity to debate him, he would say in response to my uh, comparison to the stock market, I'm sure he would say companies you invest in on the stock market provide a good or service, uh, or service which mm-hmm. is of value and therefore that's what drives the value of uh, the, the share price. Yeah, It's partially true. The price is actually dictated by the way sentiment the, the public sentiment is. Yeah, which is why more, companies often do share buybacks. Yeah, but more more buyers more buyers than sellers price goes up. More sellers than buyers price goes down. Yep. That's really it doesn't matter what the news is. It just matters what the perception of the news. Is. That's right. So, what I would argue is that buying Bitcoin has is an investment into the global currency and the global interoperability on the internet. Yep. So you've actually, you it's almost like you've invested in the marketplace for the world mm-hmm. by connecting, like I said, 50% of the world's population are currently, in 2023, unbanked. Yeah. Think about how formative that is for the world. Can we now, also I, even I, I've through... got an example of this. Hold on. I've got an example yeah. of this. The business that I've set up, I have to go through these hurdles to set up another bank account, right? Mm-hmm. It's taken me weeks. You need all this like identification. You need all this, this these, these uh, hurdles to jump through. But because our thing uses the Bitcoin Lightning Network, we were actually ready to transact day one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And it was free. You download a free wallet and you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Think, think about how powerful that is. Totally. Because it's fine for me. I have money. I can I can wait. I can wait it out. I've got other work I can do. Yep. I've got options. Lots of people don't. That's right. And efficiency is productivity. Yes. And this is the most efficient way to move energy yep. across state borders. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, oh, sorry, just now, before we move on, the, the other thing I just want to say to... I'm still on Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. But, but on that note is another thing that we're seeing a lot of recently is banks not only cracking down on who their customer base can be, like we are seeing famous cases of, you know, right-wing conspiracy theories being unbanked by certain institutions for no reason. Um, but we're also seeing banks increase the amount of hoops you need to jump through to be able to actually access and utilize your own money. Oh, dude, I see it every day. Yeah, especially in your business. I'm, you tell me the stories all the time, like phone call constantly about, hey, this customer just tried to pay me some money and their bank called them up saying, this could be a scam, we're going to hold it for 24 hours. Like it happens yeah. all the time. So those, in, in a free market society, the only way that the customer base can actually improve these things is to have a competitor available in the marketplace which does the job better. And then if people start using that competitor, then all of a sudden these these existing banks will go, hey, why are we losing so many customers to the Bitcoin network? 
oh, it's because of X, Y, Z reason. It's more efficient. It's more global. Um, it's less this of a month happen. around. This happened tw- at 2017 in the last uh, the s- two bull runs ago, mm-hmm. the two Bitcoin bull runs ago. The whole talk of the town was the fact that uh, Bitcoin's Bitcoin transaction was settled within minutes when bank transactions were settling within three days. Yeah. Remember then that after that, they brought out instant payment clearing and OSCO. Yeah. So that was in direct response to... Perfect example. Right? But then what happened is they're slowly starting to pull it back. Yep. So I used to be able to get instant transactions on cars, right? If you had the money in your account and you had OSCO, you could send it to me directly, bang. Yep. But now now they're going back to the security hole. That's right. Sometimes it's more often than not, it's one day. And it frustrates me all the time. People go, oh, no, uh, I send... I send Osco money all the time. It's instant. Yeah, dude, you send five bucks for a coffee. That's instant. But yeah. you're trying to buy a $15,000 car. That's right. That ain't instant. Yep. Then none of them are instant anymore. It's either 24 hours or three days or at worst, I've seen five days. Yeah. And I know they have the money because I make them do it in front of me before yeah, I release right. the car, knowing that they're going to hold. And think about what it does to me, right? So if I, I go and sell, I sold a $17,000 car. They bought it from me at four o'clock on Thursday afternoon. Mm-hmm. I don't see the money. So they've got the car. Yep. I don't see the money for 24 hours, which means on the Friday, I can't reinvest that money into another car because I right. don't have it. Yeah. And how many times does that happen? How many days have I lost access to my own money? Yeah, not even, not even stating the fact that you, we've still got this archaic system where if you make that payment on a Friday, you won't see it till the Monday because yeah. like internet banking gets to take the weekend off. Now talking about, um, you know, we've just had Westpac go down for, oh, that happened this week. Yep. I think it went down for three hours. Not sure exactly how long it was, but it was short. Okay. You had the Optus. Now to be fair, if you were with Optus and you had no internet, you couldn't use Bitcoin either. Okay, so yes. full disclosure. Uh, however, if you if you uh, if you are a like um, a lot of people were affected by their point of sale system was on a different network to what their mm. main system was. Yep. In which case, in some of those cases, some of those people would have had access to be able to pay. Right. Yep. The Bitcoin network has had like 99.8% uptime. Yeah. There was one time in the early days where there was an argument over which way it was going to fork and it caused an issue with it. So me, completely honest, all the cars on the table, it's not 100% perfect uptime, but it's already beating banks in terms of the amount of uptime, the uh, usability time. Instant transactions, or relatively instant. If you use Lightning, it's instant. Um... 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no borders. Like, there'll be a world where, you know, we've colonized Mars. The only way you're going to be able to get funds to your Mars friend, your Martian friend, is via the Bitcoin network. Yeah, totally. Right? So, um, now, the other thing I wanted to say about it is to argue the point about how it's similar to a share is that not only are you investing in the ability to connect people, but you're investing in the computer network, uh, which secures 
the whole thing. So when you see Bitcoin, the, the term Bitcoin mining, mining is a bunch of hard drives that facilitate each transaction that has a, a basically a digital ledger of every single transaction that goes through mm-hmm. and it's written on every single device so if there was a million nodes connected and you sent money to me through the bitcoin network our transaction would be recorded on one million of one million nodes yeah okay now those miners get bitcoin as in forms of a transaction fee so when you would if you sent bitcoin to me there is a transaction fee the transaction fee goes to the miner who facilitated that block exchange Mm -hmm. okay it's decentralized yeah which means it can't go down yep and it means it's the people rewarded are the people who are fronting the technology that's right so how is that different than investing in Visa Card or Mastercard, it's it's really not. Apart from the fact that it's decentralized, which means the person who is doing the work on the node is mm-hmm. going to get the money. Whereas with a bank, and this is one of the arguments for using cash, is that every single transaction you make uh, using a Visa or Mastercard has a fee attached to it, and that fee goes straight back to the bank. And whatever that fee might be, let's say it's one percent. If you've got a hundred dollars. And you swipe your hundred your hundred dollar um, charge on your card. When a hundred people do that, that one percent fee every single time means that whole one hundred dollars as now belongs to the bank. Yeah, because they just take that money from. And also, service providers. These payment providers that are intermediaries between yeah. the bank. Visa is not a bank. Visa is a payment provider yeah. that links two banks together. Mm. So this is what drives me mad too. When people go, "Oh, the environmental impact of Bitcoin." It's so funny because another article came out this week, got heaps of coverage, where they talked about, oh, it uses 50,000 litres of water to do one Bitcoin transaction, which is actually bullshit because they even say in the article, that is to generate one block. One block is thousands and thousands and thousands of transactions. Yeah. And like, you're not even talking about the same thing. And then when you compare it up, you're purely comparing up against Visa in terms of what they write on the ledger. That's right. Not the fact that they have to contact Bank A ledger it with bank b yeah you know i can turn around look in the city and see the big commonwealth building made of concrete yeah you know what's the how much carbon's in there you know yeah no, that stuff's irrelevant yeah they love it though they love it mm. and and i would argue that if you could bank the unbanked if if you could get half the world online like think about what that does for mankind absolutely absolutely and now I spoke to you. So this is off. Um, this is more uh, less about the argument I would have had with that guy, and is more about a philosophy behind Bitcoin that I find interesting. Is because Bitcoin is deflationary, like you said. So we we, we have a fractional reserve system. We we aim for a two percent um, uh, inflation rate, which means we want to have our currency, meaning fiat currency, devalue by two percent year on year. Okay, yeah. that's what we want to have. We currently have seven in is what they're listed at. It's probably 20 or 30, yep. right? Because we all know how much more we're spending on stuff. But even using their, their figures, right? Um, Bitcoin is deflationary because there can't be any more once it's mined out. So what does that do for people's spending habits? Now, I would argue home ownership in Australia, it's hard, right? Everyone's talking about the... Um, how hard it is to get a home 
how many homes you know there's, there's a lot of criticism from the rich people who have multiple homes and some have no one in them because they can get all these tax benefits from it why did they buy homes Jason? because they were in good good investment vehicles and why are they in good investment vehicle uh because it's a commodity that is finite uh, because there's only so much land in the country, especially uh, desirable land close to resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, well, there's a, there's a market for it and that market's never going to disappear. And what else? What's, and also, how is it linked to the money? What, tax breaks? No, no, not tax breaks. Just the cash alone. If you, inv- you, you said it before. Oh yeah, of course. So the money, that, the money that you invest into the property when you buy it that the actual value of that money decreases over time whereas the asset itself increases over time so if you buy if if you went back 30 years ago and you bought a house for two hundred thousand dollars the value and and 20 years later the value of that two hundred thousand dollars if that cash has actually deflated over that time which means the actual monetary terms value of it today might be three four five hundred thousand dollars whereas if because you bought that asset at two hundred thousand and it's uh, the the cash rate has deflated against the asset. The assets experience exponential growth in that period of time. But it's not really, is it? No, it, it's not it's, that the asset's growing. It's that the the currency is deflating. The currency that it's attached to is falling yeah. away from the value of a hard asset. Yeah. So that's that's like a it's a you call it an investment vehicle, which is converting a currency that is deflating into a hard currency. That's why they do it. Okay, so let's say if we if we moved from uh, let's so let's say if we moved to fifty percent Bitcoin uptake here in Australia, you don't need to lock in a house at today's money because your money is going to in uh, deflate yep. over that same period of time. So what what would that do to the property market? It'll go through the roof. No opposite if you move 50 percent of the people to the bitcoin standard mm-hmm. property price would fall away. oh yeah sorry sorry yeah no of course of course yeah so you know everyone's whinging about it we'll move from a deflationary move from a financial system which makes you consume because mm-hmm. if you don't consume if you hold on to your money it's just going to waste away rot away rust away to nothing Yep. So you have to use it, you have to use it, you have to use it. Mm-hmm. Or have it in Bitcoin where holding it is the best thing you can do. Oh, do I want that t-shirt for 50 bucks? Yeah. That's going to be worth 150 bucks in three years time as opposed to a $50 um, shirt now that will cost me 150 in the future but not be worth it? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, there's... ironically, like you're saying, if you, were, if you were a socialist or an anti-capitalist greenie, for example... The best thing that you could do is actually move into using Bitcoin as an asset yeah. and promoting yeah. its use because you're right. It actually, instead of it being a deflationary asset where if you you may as well spend it today because it's going to be worth less tomorrow, uh, it's the total opposite which will completely change consumer spending habits. Exactly, exactly. Which is probably um, okay. the biggest reason why it's being rejected by the mainstream because they now, want us to keep consuming and spending. There is an argument and it's relatively new, right? This... this um. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what year that the fractional reserve system came in. Might have been the seventies or the eighties. But it wasn't always like this. Yeah. You know? And we are look, 
the idea of the fractional reserve system is to promote growth within the uh, economy. So get people to spend. So when people spend, you go buy more stuff off other people and then they have more money to invest and buy and other stuff and you grow and grow and grow. That's the idea and it has done that pretty well. But we're now starting to face the byproduct of a high consumption civilization. Yes. And it would be argued if, yeah, if you were a greenie, you shouldn't like consumption. You should want to reduce consumption. And one of the best ways to do it is to turn to a, a hard currency. Now, going back to the argument that, that I would have with the guy was, um, how's gold priced? It's based off supply and demand. Yeah, but so, but has gold got intrinsic value? Yeah, because gold can be used for things other than currency. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But so, but like, I mean, Bitcoin can be used as a store of wealth mm-hmm. a uh it, it can be used to um with uh ordinals i don't know if you've been following ordinals there's a way to sign and inscribe um messages or effectively digital irrefutable signatures mm-hmm. so it, it's a way to actually uh define whose property is what yep i mean we've got the same it's the same stuff that's why i find it so fascinating when people are anti-bitcoin when they they know very little about it. If you only yeah. know the surface level of it, you have to ask a couple more questions. You can't just go out and just be like, nah, it's a scam. It's, it's, a, it, but it's just the same thing we've been speaking about on this podcast for three years. It's people who, who do not understand, who've consumed a mainstream narrative on something. Um, being an older person from a different generation, the wealth creation strategies when, at, when he was at the age of those young kids he was talking to were very different than the wealth creation strategies you have to use yeah. today. And they'll be very different again in 20 to 30 years' time when we're still having this podcast and kids will be crying foul that it's far too expensive to buy into the Bitcoin market because every Bitcoin is worth $10 million. There'll there'll need to be a new strategy which is created in 20 to 30 years' time to combat this. So anyway, we we need to move on because we spent about half half an hour on Bitcoin so far. Sorry, guys. But I just want to say this. Anyone Anyone who bought when I was buying has done very well for themselves. Yep, you're welcome. And again, if you if you're looking at it as a long-term investment, just keep buying. Just keep buying, buy it now, buy it regularly, buy little amounts. That it's the one of the other best things about investing in Bitcoin is it's not like the stock market. You don't have to spend $500 at a time to buy into the Bitcoin market. You can buy in a couple of dollars every week if you want. That's to. what these guys, these young guys, they don't have 500 bucks a pop. Because it's not five hundred, right? No, it's five hundred uh, to minimum. Yeah, minimum. So, but you've got to get a full share amount inside there as well. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you can only do it during, you know, from nine 10 till four. four. It's ten till, no, 10, till four. ten till four, Monday to Friday. So most people can't access it, and that's been by design. That's like, right. The design has it's it's been made for stockbrokers and yep. it's made for for fund managers. This democratizes finance. That's right. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. White people, stop thinking about yourself. Think about some others. (laughs) All right, let's go to, while you're on a roll, let's go to battery cars. Yeah, so this article came through and it's it's kind of a, uh, I guess, a a culmination. There's a whole bunch of similar articles. And I I just wanted to read it because 
it's funny, I don't get asked about electric cars a lot, and yet I've been in the motor trade for 20 years now. Yep. I've bought and sold, you know, probably thousands of cars. Uh, I am very interested in the space. Uh, I have lots of money invested in cars, mm-hmm. you know. Most of my net worth is in cars, right? Therefore, I have a vested interest in knowing what's going on. Now, this is an article from Car Expert in Australia, and it's talking about the the rental company Sixt, uh, S-I-X-T. Why Sixt is dropping Tesla electric cars from its rental fleet. And I thought this was interesting because this is just a different story to what we've been hearing, right? Mm-hmm. Sixt is phasing out Tesla's electric cars from its fleet as aggressive price cuts have driven down their resale values. Tesla's price cuts have reportedly had a casualty and it's not its rivals. Bloomberg reports the car rental company Six is phasing out Tesla's from its fleet, citing poor resale values. In an email to customers seen by news outlets, Six um, claims these resale value issues are being compounded by high repair costs for electric vehicles versus a combustion-powered model. The letter says there are significantly higher holding costs for Tesla vehicles and that the company won't be purchasing any additional Tesla vehicles. Nevertheless, a spokesperson for the firm said it plans to electrify as much as 90% of its European rental fleet by the end of the decade. So just on that, I find it interesting that it was really a shot at Tesla. Yeah, it's not electric cars in general. It's deliberately a shot Shot at Tesla. Tesla. Yep. Yep. Now, Tesla has dropped their price because they've just updated. They've got a facelifted version of the 3 and the Y and the S is coming. They've got Cybertruck coming, which will push the price back up. Yep. Um, but I think it's deeper than this mm-hmm. because the resale value on electric cars is garbage. Yes. And I'll tell you from a car dealer's point of view, we don't buy them. Yep. If they're under factory warranty, we'd consider it. Mm-hmm. But if they're outside of factory warranty, it's usually seven year factory warranty. If they're outside of factory warranty, we will not touch them. And the reason is these lithium battery packs are so big and fail at such a rapid rate, the cost of replacing the battery is more than the car is worth at that time. Yeah, that's right. And to paint your picture, BMW i8, which is a little... It's not a full electric. It's actually got an onboard petrol. So it's a hybrid car, primarily electric. The The petrol engine is a generator for the electric battery yep they're failing a bunch and it's $28,000 to replace the battery packs and I've seen them go as low as like 25,000 kilometers the batteries have failed uh, and dealerships are telling you well you got to pay it and then the, some customers I know have escalated that to BMW and they've kind of come to the party and, mm-hmm. um, but that's that's going to bite them in the ass eventually. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the other note about that first paragraph is that, well, they're still going to do it in Europe. But why do you think that is? Uh, look, it could be for a few reasons. Number one, I know that electric cars generally uh, suffer in warmer climates. So I know that the batteries have less range in a hotter climate compared to a colder climate like Europe. Um a European country also probably has far more support available uh, in the form of charging stations um, and, you know, actual repair facilities because it's not so far between, like comparing it to the Australian market anyway. Mm. Um, 
I would also assume that the European Union has some sizable tax concessions for battery-powered vehicles. Yep. And why do they have those tax concessions? Well, it's designed to make people want to purchase them. I know that... Um, They've also got very, very harsh laws against the alternative. Yeah, because I was going to say, like we covered on the show a few months ago about, like, um, uh, I think it, Paris banning London, all combustion Paris, vehicles. Uh, and Munich? I think, yeah. are banning internal combustion cars in the city centres. Yeah. Okay, so I'll read on. In recent, It recently agreed to buy around 100,000 BYD vehicles by 2028. Do you know what a BYD is, Jason? Yeah, it's a Chinese uh, battery-powered car. Yeah. So they're cheap. Yep. Right? Uh, it begins its BYD rollout in Germany and France, at the Netherlands and the UK, and the vehicles appearing on the fleet this year. Six degrees to buy... Six recently agreed to buy at least 500 BYD Atto 3s for its Australian fleet with aims of operating the largest and most wide-ranging EV fleet for hire down under. It already offers the MGZS EV. What a shit name. MGZS EV, Tesla Model 3, Model Y, Hyundai Kona Electric, and BMW iX3 in Australia. Um, so, I this is, this is my uh, take on this. These these guys buying these BYDs yep. are going to be in the exact same boat, but for less money. Okay, so yeah. they are going to, these these BYDs will be worthless yep. after uh, after they're they're finished on the. Just floors. look up the resale value on any Tesla, uh, sorry, any Chinese built car at all so yeah, far in history. Right. Yeah. So you're going to get the same problem again. It might be argued that if you've got more cars on, you've had you should have more revenue. Your daily rate is probably the same in a Tesla as it is in a, a at a. Um, in a BYD, yep. okay? So there might be that justification there, but you're going to lose more money. I would argue that a Tesla is worth more than a BYD. Agreed. Right, uh, after three, four years or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this, to me, just reeks of virtue signaling. We have to do it. We're green. They they spend all this time talking about how, how um, they're going to... Like, it gives them something to talk to the market about. Yep. We are the biggest electric fleet. <laughs> then we're going to get to the point where they realize, oh shit, this shit costs money. <laughs> yeah. And these cars are fucked. Um, and then we're going to go back. I reckon it's more to it. Toyota will win. I reckon it's more to it than that too. I think it's a few, few more things. Number one, we all know about all of the incentives that various state governments announced over the last three years for purchasing electric cars. So the purchase prices of a lot of these vehicles were probably subsidized by our government and they took the yeah. opportunity when they could, especially if it's, you know, in Queensland, what was it, $3,000 an electric car that the Queensland yeah, government and I think, was paying? And I think no stamp duty or reduced stamp duty. Yeah, well. something along those lines. So it's if you, probably up to 10, 10 to 15 grand. So if you extrapolate that out over 100,000 cars, obviously that's a significant saving for your company. So you would take advantage of that when you can. The other thing too that I think that a lot of these rental cars who particularly bought Teslas may have been fooled with is I think that all of them anticipated we would have had self-driving cars by now. Yeah. yeah so point. I think a lot of them probably got in early thinking, hey, it's a Tesla. One of the best things about it is to get it upgraded. All you have to do is, is get a software upgrade yeah. and then bang, I've got a self-driving car in my fleet straight away. That just hasn't occurred. And I don't even really hear it spoken about all that often. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that because I, I, I've been like sort of looking around. It's regulatory issues. 
there's a real issue yeah. now over who's to blame in a yeah. fatality. Just just give the electric car company indemnity. And is that a nice segue into? Sure. Yeah. Are you, are you done? Yeah, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. Yeah. Just my my final thoughts on that too is. Um, I made the comment the other day that I feel like the electric car phenomenon will end up being similar to uh, the national broadband network in that it is an example of our government investing heavily in what they claim is like the new technology which is going to solve a lot of problems, even though anyone who actually knows what they're talking about knew that that wasn't going to be the actual fix. Maybe it's you mean like, tes- like Telstra? Yeah, who didn't who didn't even put a bid in for the broadband because yep. they said it wasn't the way, and then they basically rolled out five G here, which yep. kicks the shit out of um, out of MBN. Yeah, so I I just feel like there was on the uh, on the electric car bandwagon, there was a lot of money made on the way through, and the great news is it will just be superseded by another technology very soon. Because I think the biggest thing, and like you, what you were saying, is uh, everyone. The, the biggest the biggest benefit for the electric car market at the moment is the vast majority of the population has never owned one. And once yeah, they do, point. and they experience that lack of resale value, they're going to be like, why the hell would I cost myself so much money just to make my life more difficult? Because still, in, especially in Australia, charging stations not readily available... Uh, hey, all of a sudden, the price of electricity is double what it was 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. So where is you're the not benefit? Allowed, you're not allowed to have a supercharger in every house on your street. Yep, and um, a lot of state governments are now starting to put EV charges to make up for the fuel excise that they're not receiving in tax. Yeah. So uh, where is the, the benefit? Yeah, yeah. It might be hydrogen might be the answer. Toyota seems to be backing hydrogen and a combination of... Um, probably this is what I see I see a mix of so I see lithium going away and I see either batteries replaced with a different type of battery source but I reckon they only make up like 10 to 15 maybe 20% of the new car market I see hydrogen probably making up the same 10 to 20% I see ultra efficient small capacity petrol engines using synthetic fuels mated to uh hybrid yeah that's like that's, kind of doing. that's I what that's... i think the real answer is personally yeah um and you may even be able to make those in conjunction with instead of petrol but a hydrogen based motor as well yeah 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 anyway um like you said that segues us into the next sort of little block now um, I'm just going to start this off by talking briefly about this, the Australian government Moderna deal. So I posted a, a reel on Instagram today. Uh, and for any of you who follow us on Instagram, we've had a, quite a large uptick in views lately. I kind of get the feeling like potentially Meta started taking the handbrake off a lot of uh, right-wing accounts. And I, I say right-wing accounts. I don't, I don't classify us as right-wing. We're very center on many things, but I think Meta definitely classifies us as right wing because primarily we got put on the uh, the the naughty boy list because of speaking out about covid um but seemingly last week when i started posting reels all of a sudden they're starting to actually get some coverage again which is which is great so if any of you see them please like share you know put a comment in all that stuff helps drive the content mm-hmm. up um, and hopefully it starts bringing some more followers to the show 
Um, but I posted up a, a reel today of Malcolm Roberts speaking in Parliament. And what he was talking about was last week, the Labor government actually detailed part of their agreement with Moderna to in regards to building the vaccine manufacturing facility in Victoria. And something that is in that agreement is that um, the Australian government has agreed to give Moderna indemnity for any vaccine-related product that that manufacturer produces. So... <clears throat> During Now, we've been through all this stuff a million times in regards to vaccine and indemnities and the reasons why. And during COVID, it was only under these uh, provisional approval pathways backed by the emergency approvals in the United States because our TGA did none of their own testing. They just took... Uh, the T sorry, they just took the FDA's word for it and FDA took the vaccine manufacturer's word for it. Um, and that's what accelerated the approval of all of these vaccines over here. And the it was all under the guise of um, state of emergency conditions, which is why we we're all asked to swallow the fact that we we're giving these indemnities out and everything's being rushed through because we were in a state of emergency. So the fact that the government's already agreed to give indemnity to Moderna for products not even yet developed, let alone tested, it just, it makes you wonder... How I'll ask you the question, how does the Australian citizen, who will be the ones who ultimately will have to shoulder any financial burden due to harms caused by these products, how does the Australian citizen benefit from that arrangement, Alex? They don't. And when they don't, like, let's say there is a big awakening and people go, wait a minute, that's, it sounds wrong to implement a system that discourages to make a product that does what it says, right? There's no, yeah. there's actually no benefit. And But we know what's going to happen. We know that if they don't sell, the government's going to step in and make it mandatory or put it in on the, on the, um, the well, it, the even worse, schedule. that part of that, um, announcement was talking about how the government has already signed advanced, uh, purchase and supply agreements with Moderna. So, so you're right. Like we know that um, the mRNA platform is largely unpopular now. I think the latest numbers on booster uptake is about 5% of people have taken the most recent booster. That ain't a very good conversion rate. So we know people... Because the people that have got their, the booster prior to that are probably dead. in hospital with myocarditis now. Yeah, yeah potentially. Um, so it, it has widely been rejected. So, but, like they'll, but they'll punch it through. Yeah, I'll and, and you, because... like you said, the government's going to pay for them instead. Yeah. And then they're going to, it's going to be like how every year we go, oh, here's your free flu vaccine read from on, like the read government. Read me this, Jason. We, we know that, what was the number? Was it 250 million COVID vaccines that we ordered originally? Like, I know there was a batch that was like 150 first. It was and somewhere between 210 million. and 250 million. Yeah. Did we, we asked why? Like, where are they? Well, the. I think the just uh, no one's ever answered the question properly. But do but, but do the maths, even do the maths. Like, yeah, it was ten for every single man, woman, and child in the country. Yeah, and we had an eight. What is it? 96 percent double dose. Yep. Okay, so there's fifty million. Yeah, a stack of them got thrown in the bin, and the yep. other justification that was used to spend, to spend that money at the time was there was two justifications. Number one. We needed to order that many and pay that much money to get bumped up the production queue from Pfizer and Moderna to receive these vaccines sooner. 
Yeah, to be fair, I've done that. So when I, I've done that myself. I was at Fisho's years and years and years ago, <laughs> and the line, the line to the bar was insane. Also a to receive poison. Out, I guess, yeah. A girl walked out, and she had just bought a Smirnoff Double Black with a bit of pink cordial in there. Nice. And I said, I will pay you $50 for that drink. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I'd be crazy not to do that. Uh, so, and, back and when the economy my, was good, eh? <laughs> I was earning really good money back then, and money was worth something back then. Yeah. And uh, all my friends laughed at me, yet I got to sit down in the sun drinking while they were sweating it up in the line waiting yep. for their uh, for their drink so I've done the same thing so I, I get it ScoMo you're off the hook yeah, he's yeah. probably looking after the brief and he was busy with 10 other briefs too so let's let's cut him some slack yeah but the other thing too that came out of this was that well the other justification was that the COVAX scheme so any oh, yeah. excess vaccines that we purchased we were going to be able to donate to less fortunate nations via the COVAX scheme however what they, then... they just had to collect it in the river yeah. yeah, yeah. well, what, what came out, and again, not even from Australia, but from some of the uh, other, other countries' governments' procurement contracts that have been leaked, is that, at least with Pfizer, and I'm sure Moderna was exactly the same, uh, Pfizer retained ownership of all of the doses, which meant if you wanted to donate any of them, you actually had to get written um, approval from Pfizer to be able to donate these doses. So what did Pfizer do? They were like, yeah, nah, they can buy their own. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, like if I, if I really try to um, put my government hat on and go, okay, how can I justify this for the people of Australia... Because obviously the government's going to be investing billions of dollars in the in the actual um, creation and building of the factory itself. So what is the benefit of that? My number one benefit, I would, I as a government person, I would say is, oh, it's going to create jobs, right? There's going to be people working at these factories, so it'll create jobs. So that's number one. Number two is it's going to create tax revenue from when these things get sold. Right, so we're creating an industry over here, and everyone's talking about wanting to bring manufacturing back to Australia. But forget manufacturing cars. Let's manufacture vaccines that don't work. Um, so tax revenue might be another um, justification. The third justification might be in the event of the next pandemic, we're going to have a homegrown manufacturing plant so we can get advanced orders and get these vaccines out to the people as soon as possible. Those are the only things that I can think as as actual. What what's your um, one? Uh, the people in who have made these decisions know that they're not long for this world, and are securing them a sweet job with a multinational, multi-billion-dollar business that they're going to get some even yeah. more well, awesome job for themselves. Like I said, I'm trying to figure out how you sell this to the Australian people because that's the real answer. Fear. Yeah, potentially. But well, we'll know. We'll know for sure if they bring out a vaccine for the for climate change. We know that. Oh, there's got to be one, right? The, I mean, yeah. mRNA is the only platform that's going to be able to vaccinate you from climate change. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But no, I, I think it's atrocious. I think I think the the fact that you know the questions I'd be asking is like how. Like, have we done a stock take on the vaccines we already bought? You know, yeah. does Moderna actually owe us money because? You know, like it just sounds like the shittest deal. I think they're going to they're going to pander to the local where the factory is going to be built. They're going to they can pander to that area because there's going to yep. be localized jobs there. But it's just a nuts movement. And, and you and wait wait to see your childhood your childhood um, baby 
vaccine schedule, watch it double. That's right. And um, for any of those of you who've only just recently started listening to us and, and welcome. anyone of Thank you who've you. forgotten, yeah, welcome. Um, Moderna, the fact that we're doing a deal with Moderna is the biggest red flag to me at all. And the reason is this. Anyone who paid attention during the pandemic knows that Pfizer owned the market during the pandemic. Pfizer yeah. owned the market. And with the two most... Uh, the two mRNA products that were available was Pfizer and was and Moderna. And Moderna had the highest amount of adverse events because the dosage of mRNA per vial was much higher. So it was 30 micrograms in an adult Pfizer dosage. It was 100 micrograms in an adult Moderna dosage. For children, it was 10 micrograms in Pfizer and 30 micrograms in Moderna. So children were getting... Jason, how else are you going to get the myocarditis into that? Yeah, well, there you go. So so you pick the company that's got the highest amount of adverse events, but also it just so happens to be the company that is already in a partnership with the National Institutes of Health in America, because for any of you who have been following along, you will know that the NIH, National Institutes of Health, gave Moderna the mRNA platform technology, which was created using publicly funded taxpayer research, and in exchange for that technology, they actually get a 50% revenue share in the vaccine doses sold by Moderna. Hell yeah, dude. So the US government is actually profiting from... Now, if you go to the UK, so just remember, we're in this thing called the AUKUS Alliance, Australia, UK, and the US. In the UK, the current Prime Minister of the UK is a guy called Rishi Sunak who was a founding member of a hedge fund that invested, I think it was $400 million into Moderna a few years ago. This was pre-pandemic. And since he came to power in the UK, he signed a deal with Moderna to create a Moderna factory in the United Kingdom. He's also refused to divulge whether or not he still has a financial interest in Moderna via that hedge fund and how much he will personally profit from the vaccines created out of that manufacturing plant. Do you mean the hedge fund that the Prime Minister of the UK, his wife has domiciled in the tax haven of Cayman Islands? Yes, that very oh. hedge fund. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. cool yeah, cool, so cool. it doesn't pay tax in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there is... All it's I a know. shit fight, mate. It's, it, it, this, is, this is nuts. Um, I hope... I hope they set it all up. I hope no one takes it, and I hope the the, the, the business folds. I hope they do their ass, and I hope this is a big wake up call. The fact that there is only like a five percent uptake to the fifteenth booster booster or whatever, I think is the best possible sign that you can have. Yeah, agree. I've spoken to some people. I've triggered some people that that unfortunately were pressured to take it. And it's ne- it, like it's shocking to them now in realization, which is kind of something that we'd said that we hadn't seen. Well, I have started seeing that stuff now. Yeah, I that outrage will permeate uh, the decision making going forward. So yeah, I think I agree. we're in a, a better place than we than we were. Yeah, and it's interesting because that's the outrage that during the pandemic was being directed at the unvaccinated. 
And yeah. we said at the time, we're like, hey, you're pointing your outrage in the wrong direction. You need to be pointing it at the governments who created policies which forced you to take these things, not at everyone else who, who chose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll actually segue us into the last story. So if you can bring up the uh, Texas Attorney General story. So this is interesting because this falls in line with... Uh, what we've been speaking about over the last couple of months about how I've pushed the wrong button five times. <laughs> nice. You sound vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you zoom in slightly? So this is from. So I, I deliberately picked an article from the Sydney Morning Herald um, to try to give it a mainstream approach. So this is from the first of December. Pursuing justice, Texas sues Pfizer for overstating COVID-19 vaccine effectiveness. So remember, we've spoken about this a million times. All these vaccine companies have received indemnity from the harms caused by their medicines. But I've stated previously, and I think I was talking about this almost 18 months ago, I don't think that indemnity extends to if you have committed fraud in the um, either the advertising of your vaccines or actually gaining the approval in the first place. Right. So in Austin, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has accused Pfizer of misrepresenting the effectiveness of the company's COVID-19 vaccine in a lawsuit filed in state court. The pharmaceutical giant used misleading statistics to promote its vaccine and sought to, in quotes, intimidate and silence, end quote, those who question the product's efficacy, the lawsuit filed on Thursday, Austin time, alleges. Paxton is seeking more than US $10 million in civil fines and a court order barring Pfizer from speaking publicly about the efficacy of its vaccine. Uh, We are pursuing justice for the people of Texas, many of whom were coerced by tyrannical vaccine mandates to take a defective product sold by lies, Paxton said in a statement. The lawsuit follows a probe launched by Paxton's office in May into three major drug companies related to claims they made about the effectiveness of their vaccines. Paxton has been a vocal opponent of COVID-19 safety mandates uh, since the onset of the pandemic. In the complaint filed in a Lubbock County State Court, Paxton said it was misleading for Pfizer to claim its vaccine was 95% effective because it offered a relative risk reduction for people who took it. So just on that note, remember back, something we've mentioned a million times and you can still look it up. If you look up Pfizer's phase three trial results, it stated that the vaccine was 95% effective at preventing symptomatic infection of SARS-CoV-2. So that was the original claim. Prevent 95% effective at preventing infection. Can you explain the relative risk of I, I will. I'll get to that. Okay. Uh, Pfizer intentionally misrepresented the efficacy of its COVID-19 vaccine and censored persons who threatened to disseminate the truth in order to facilitate fast adoption of the product and expand its commercial opportunity, the complaint said. Can I just, can I just butt in? Yeah. Our government and media literally said that out loud all the time which was oh we don't want to talk about these things because that might stop the rollout that's right it doesn't matter that they're true we don't want to talk about and they said it they said the quiet bit out loud yeah uh paxton's statement included the claim in quotes covid19 cases increased after the widespread vaccine administration and some areas saw a greater percentage of deaths from covid19 among the vaccinated population than the unvaccinated end quote when the failure of its product became apparent pfizer then pivoted to silencing truth tellers now 
that's see down the bottom there it says bloomberg reuters uh with chris Zipine. the reason why i selected this article was because it's interesting to actually see this written about in a mainstream article but what is more interesting to see is how much was left out of the key information surrounding the lawsuit itself so like what alex was saying before the lawsuit alleges that Pfizer misrepresented the efficacy of its vaccine by using a relative risk reduction as opposed to an actual risk reduction. And it was only based off two months of trial data as well. So the way that a relative risk reduction works is they took the vaccinated cohort and the unvaccinated cohort and they counted how many of the people in that cohort had a symptomatic uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection within that two-month period and then they compared those numbers against each other and it turns out that in the um, in the vaccinated group 0.9% of people in that group had a symptomatic infection in that two-month period and in the unvac- sorry in the, in the vaccinated group zero, only 0.04% of people had a symptomatic infection in that two-month period the difference between that those two percentages, 0.9 as opposed to 0.04, is 95%. That's where that number comes from. But if you actually look at the macro number, in the unvaccinated group, less than 1% of people got a, a COVID infection in that period of time. Mm. So this is, this is the, the issue. And wasn't the death number like one person different? Yeah, I, I believe it was one person yeah. different, but... That was up until a certain period of time. And if you kept yeah. following the data after that, the it number flipped. of people that died in the vaccinated group actually outpaced the unvaccinated yeah. group. So this is the thing that I've been kind of waiting for is, yes, okay, you've got indemnity from the harms that your products caused. That's fine. The government signed those agreements. However, in the US in particular, because you can actually advertise pharmaceuticals on television over there, which you can't over here, you can get done for false advertising. Like surely this is completely misrepresenting the efficacy of your product. And yeah. um, from a, an Australian, like uh, the ACCC, Australian uh, consumer law, you would easily be able to argue the case that this product is nowhere near as effective as was claimed when it was sold to the members of the public. The only problem with this is, I think it even said in that article that they're only seeking like 15 million bucks in damages. Yeah, this is a start though. Yeah, but I, I don't think, like no one goes to jail. The only thing I think is good about it is at least it puts on the public record that they lied. That's right. Even though we already have it on the public record that Pfizer lies. Yeah. Pfizer, as we spoke about earlier in the pandemic, um, if you Google largest, was it largest criminal... Um, uh, malfeasance? Yeah, malfeasance payout or whatever. Like they were fined $2.3 billion for lying about their products uh, back in the early 2000s. They have history with doing this. But the more I'm learning, the more I realize that those two things, the regulator and the regulated... Are a have a symbiotic relationship yep. where one has to do naughty things so that the other person can find them, so that they can pay, so that this thing can exist. That's right, because you've got Shit that system. fee recovery model, which the which funds the regulators. So yep. there is we no, do that here in Australia. Yep, 
and also uh, are we worse than the US? Will be ninety six. As far as funding goes, we're the worst in the world, dude. Yeah, and the TGA receives ninety six percent of its funding from industry. Yep, paid by industry. Yeah, so look, we'll we'll follow that court case. Uh, we we want to know what the outcome is going to be. I think that if it's successful, it opens up a massive floodgate. And so yes, it might be ten million dollars from Texas, but if you extrapolate that out to every single. Uh, region in the world launching mm. their own individual court cases it's going to add up to be a significant amount of money is it singapore that's looking into it or the philippines philippines Th- mainly thailand was i wonder we haven't checked back in with thailand they no, were one of the first we, we haven't for a while um i was listening to a uh, pbd podcast had a um they had robert uh, bobby kennedy jr on yep and it was really interesting listening to him talking about how he litigated uh, cases against like Monsanto back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and essentially what the cases were about back then was uh, Monsanto is the company that uh, owns Roundup, the weed killer. And uh, that glyphosate was actually causing cancer in a lot of people back in the day and just like what's happening right now monsanto gaslit everyone in the world they claimed that it was safe they claimed all of these things they funded faulty studies etc 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 but it got to a point where the evidence was overwhelming that these products and people who use them on a routine basis were were being were, were all getting the same form of cancers over and over and over again yeah and what he was explaining was there was one point when um, he was bringing all of these cases to to court and in the jurisdiction that he was bringing it in, I can't remember which jurisdiction it was, but their law is actually that you can't do like a class action like what's happening in Australia with the vaccines at the moment. You have to actually bring every single case individually. Right. And, and what happens is that based on the outcome of like the first three to four cases generally the defendant in this case monsanto comes to the settlement table and goes hey let's just settle all the rest of these things yeah wrap them up that's right yeah and it was interesting because he's explaining about how the first three cases that he brought to them in regards to people getting cancer from their products the first one was settled for like uh well they found in favor of of the plaintiff and paid something like 10 to 15 million dollars some somewhere in that vicinity and you gotta remember this is back in the 80s this is big big mm, money back mm, in the mm, 80s the second one due, due to printing too much money and deflating it at a yeah. 2% yeah. well the second one uh, the payout was ended up being about 200 million dollars same same the third case they asked like Bobby and his law firm asked for a billion dollars and the jury came back with $2.2 billion. Oof. And then it was after that one that Monsanto came to the party and was like, okay, let's settle the rest of these cases. And he was saying he had 40,000 cases that ended up being settled mm. after that fact. So that has happened before. It's happened in the past. We will end up seeing the same thing with these cases. It's just going to have to get to the point where you can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the the vaccine companies committed fraud in the process of getting approval of these vaccines 
and therefore the indemnity that was extended to them is null and void and then boom you're going to have I'll, a similar sort of case i'll throw another thing out there i think the vaccine manufacturers are so powerful that they'll throw the government bureaucracies they'll they'll crumble i i yeah, think probably. it's more likely that the cdc gets wrapped up than pfizer yeah and i mean look there's it's also been seen a million times with pharmaceutical companies that do get sued that all they do is you let's say you've got pfizer and you've got pfizer australia you'll have pfizer uh helensdale which will be the company that ends up taking the rap for it and then that com- company will go bankrupt get um uh, get shut down but then the the parent company just keeps on rolling so yeah, yeah. the cdc will just be disbanded and come back as the dick and, <laughs> yeah. and business as usual yeah yeah but but like you said before i think the number one benefit out of all of these court cases and what needs to happen is you need to see it in the marketplace of ideas and have changing consumer sentiment towards not only vaccines but pharmaceutical products in general our entire world at the moment is a series of health-related problems created by big food and big pharma, which we are then sold some sort of magic potion to fix it, which then creates another issue as a secondary, which you then have to buy another tablet to fix. We need to get the consumer to move their sentiment away from quick fixes and move back towards a more natural way of living, eating yeah. healthy whole foods exercising spending time with friends and family like that's what we need to see but the only way you break that spell is when you get these court cases going through and every time someone sees brought to you by pfizer people actually remember oh shit that's the company that just got done for fraud for fraudulently uh misrepresenting their vaccine trial data um i reckon we leave it there and I think anyone who's listened up to this point, thank you. Yep. Reach out to us if you want to hear next week us talk about pre-crime. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. So just leave us... Now, you can put a code on social somehow. It'll get back to us. But if you want to know about pre-crime, tell us on socials. Sounds good. All right, guys. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.